It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. And he acknowledges that. He says all artists experience the unbridgeable gap which lies between the work of their hands, however successful it may be, and the dazzling perfection of the beauty glimpsed in the ardor of the creative moment. You can't talk about art history without seeing the impact Catholicism has had on art and the impact that art has had on Catholicism. It's time for our monthly art history lesson with Charles and Amanda Shepard from the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. Welcome to another art history lesson. What are we learning about today? Well, this is a little bit different because we're actually exploring something that I think a lot of Catholics will be familiar with. Um, If they're not, they should be. It's John Paul II's letter to artists that he wrote in 1999. And I think that creative people everywhere can feel um, especially loved and especially known by the saint and the former pope through this beautiful letter that he wrote. And this is his letter to artists. That's just what it's called, right? Letter to artists. Yeah. And he's directing it to, you know, artists in general, but he also includes musicians and architects Mm -hmm. uh, in the mix there too. But he's, he's really focusing on people who make beautiful things. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are creative people in the world that might do things creatively. He's really focusing on people who have discovered their vocation as artists. Well, and in doing so, I felt like he's elevated mm-hmm. what they do and, mm-hmm. and elevated, I think, in this process, their thoughts about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the immediate effect in a personal level, you think, I should rise to this. Yeah, I should be less selfish and I should take <laughs> in a deeper spiritual way that which I'm thinking I'm creating and see the value. Well, that and there's just... The letter is full of affection for artists in a way that should be really just heartwarming and reassuring for people who might feel like they're on the margins Mm -hmm. of the economy or society or work, so to speak. And he really is sort of opening his arms wide to this part of the flock that you know, what you've been given is, as Charles says, very special. You shouldn't ignore it. And you are needed by the church and the world. Yeah. I probably read this once a year, just for some reason or another, it it comes across again. And I think in addition to that, I think even if you're not an artist, I think it helps you to appreciate artists and and the purpose of art and the purpose of beauty. And I think a lot of times we might think of that as a like a hobby sure. for people. And wow, if you can make money off of that, wow. <laughs> I don't know why anybody yeah. would pay you to do this stuff, right. but that's great. Well, he, he, But it shows how important that this is. Yeah, and he doesn't even, you know, he warns against, you know, doing this for fame or for right. money, uh-huh. you know, out of proportion. He's really focusing on the creative capacity of humans and then by extension, working artists as a sign of our image and likeness to God. And mm-hmm. he, he starts by referencing Genesis, mm-hmm. that men and women are the noblest of all of creation and therefore have been given dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. And so that extends to what we do and what we make with the materials 
that God has created for our use. So he starts from the reality of human existence. So once you really let that sink in, you can't in good conscience relegate artists to the margins. Well, and like the whole Genesis story, it's creation. He's creating things, creating things, creating things, creating things, and then he creates something that's in his image and likeness, Uh which would then create things. Yes. Like if we're in the image and likeness of a creator, then we too would create. Yes. Well, and I want to pause too. He does make the distinction between, you know, creation as bestowing being belongs to the creator alone. Mm -hmm. And then we are craftspeople who are working with the materials. And he doesn't say like, you don't create, (laughs) but he just wants to make a distinction that whatever we do with our hands is made possible by the creator who bestows being. And then we reflect that reality by what we can sense in our inner world and, you know, the kind of the spark of creativity that comes to us through the Holy Spirit and then what flows out of our bodies. Well, when I'm saying that in the letter, he counters or contradicts even a 20th century perception of the artist, first of all, perhaps deciding not to be a spiritual person or less a spiritual person, and the artist, I'm in control, I am the artist, I make my own fate, Mm -hmm. I'm the master of my own universe, even if I don't make any money or even if I'm starving, I'm still the master. Well, you can say that, but you can't say that after reading the letter. He's brought you in. And I think everybody wants to be brought in, even if you can't admit it. So if you're an artist reading it, I think you're going to at least be moved by the fact that he's not telling you you could be brought in. He's You're in. Mm-hmm. You're in. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, whether I'm humbled or not, by that. Whether or not you admit it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it isn't really up to you to admit. No, it's, exactly. It, God's already assigned this to you. And in that realm, Charles, he does trace the history of art to the earliest church, and then he brings us up to the humanism of the Renaissance that kind of led to wanting to separate art from religion. But I'll start with the very early church, and especially coming out of the Old Testament where there's the command to not make graven images. And so, therefore, early Christians coming in with that heritage, they're sensitive to that, but they also know that Jesus, the incarnate God, is an image therefore opening the doors for images to be created to glorify God. Right. And so it's the incarnation that kind of releases believers from the fear that making something, making an object is like worshiping an idol. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Christians are inheriting the classical world, you know, the beauty of Greek architecture and then embracing those ideals in the early churches. He also mentioned something that I didn't realize that because early Christians, it was illegal to be a Christian Mm -hmm. and kind of had to hide themselves, but they still needed to communicate to each other and evangelize that they used images of Christ's life, like bread and loaves and fishes and shepherd, you know, all the images that we kind of take for granted today as symbols of Christianity, they were used as a typology to kind of mark themselves, which Mm -hmm. then develops later into art to be used as an evangelization tool. So there's the continuity there. And 
a rich history of art as we know it today in the Christian church. But then, you know, with all the different movements in more recent history that kind of separate the two, he still contends that art is a bridge of the religious world to the secular world and is inviting artists to cross that bridge. Well, and I think anything that we know about the past, about religion or even just history, is probably through some form of art. Yeah. Like a book that was written. Yeah. Now you could say it's a kind of a scientific historical right. document, but most of everything is images, it's mm-hmm. text that somebody's mm-hmm. written, plays, whatever. Like right. the way we even know about anything is yeah. through some piece of art. Yes. Yes. And and he he says that that art is not, even though one of its uh chief purposes is to lead us to religious thought and to religious experiences. Mm -hmm. And he's not saying, oh, it's to make everybody Catholic or to make everybody believe in Jesus Christ. But by our human nature and the nature of the things that we create, it's inherently a religious act to do this. Mm -hmm. And he also explains that another purpose of art, as you say, is to create a human history. So Mm -hmm. art history is not just a history of images. It's the story of men and women because an artist can't separate his or her own self from the things that they create. And, you know, we've seen on this show that artists will use the clothing and customs of their time, even in a biblical scene. Mm -hmm. So the flight into Egypt might be set in, 16th century Holland Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and you're like wait a minute there's a windmill in the background like that wasn't in Egypt (laughs) (laughs) and and he comments how beautiful and wonderful that is that whether we realize it or not we're creating a history of our own race Mm -hmm. well and and the imagery I mean obviously in the time that people couldn't read the imagery was going to be the most important way of communicating but even after people could read that the old adage of a picture being worth a thousand words, mm-hmm. I think held true because it had the power to instantly give you a scene and then also through color and line and drama move you in a way that sentences wouldn't. Right. And so art is unassailably going to be tied to our being moved and our being led to an understanding. I think that is the beauty of the whole thing. Well, and I think beauty is a, big part of the letter as well. Mm-hmm. Just breaking down what is beauty as one of the transcendentals mm-hmm. with goodness and truth mm-hmm. and how God is perfect beauty and, and then any piece of art that has some element of beauty to it, mm-hmm. you know, being a fraction of God's infinite beauty. Yeah. He talks about the artist's vocation is to beauty, mm-hmm. whereas maybe a priest's vocation is to truth mm-hmm. or... Um, I don't know, a parent's vocation is to goodness, um, but that the artist has a unique vocation to beauty. And the beautiful, a lot of our definitions of beauty come from the classical world. So beautiful as a transcendental is linked to the classical world, but then it's linked to truth through the gospel. So art and the gospel go hand in hand, he says, you know, linking all of the transcendentals together. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said was, this is specifically geared towards artists, but there's a paragraph in there where he talks about not everybody is an artist in the traditional sense, right? but that we are 
to make our lives an art yeah, form. He, he, like, talks, he kind of opens it up to a broad, like everybody is an artist in a way. Yeah, he says that men and women are called to be the craftspeople of their own lives. Yeah. We have to craft our lives as works of art. Right. That's what we're all called to do. I loved that part that he is making the vocation of an artist universal. Yeah. Again, you know, people of all stripes sort of relegate art to the sidelines as like, well, I guess, you know, when everything else is taken care of, then we'll work on art or mm -hmm. then we'll be creative or, you know, don't go to art school. You won't make any money. Doing right. that. <laughs> all those <laughs> things are byproducts of that mindset. And like you said, reading this every year, it's such a beautiful way to renew what we creative people know deep within ourselves that this is what I was meant to do. I love doing it. I'm pretty good at it. And Pope Emeritus St. John Paul II validates me every time I read this. Yeah. One thing too that he touched on, which I think is really important, and this comes out of that kind of trajectory of art history leading up to the 20th century where you see a lot of fractious images and disturbing images and things really going off in all sorts of different directions, he still includes that in the definition of an artist reflecting the invisible world. He says, even when the, an artist explores the darkest depths of the soul or unsettling evil, they give voice to the universal desire for redemption. Hmm. So even when we see something that is disturbing or depicts sin, he's urging us to remember that this person is crying out, is expressing hmm. a need or desire to be delivered from these things, and that, you know, I'm not saying that we should run around looking at disturbing images. <laughs> we, yeah. we all have a limit to what our consciences can take. But that when we see those things, don't reject it immediately out of hand and say, oh, well, that, that artist is sinful or that artist is, you know, ruining art. Um, you know, he's not telling you to be uncritical, but to be open to try to find what is the artist trying to say and are they part of the redemptive quality of art? Well, in, in some cases, I think the artist is, is actually calling our attention to sin. I'm calling sin out. Mm -hmm. Look at this depiction. Uh, Kathy Colwitz, I think, of, of her horrific images, particularly human faces, being ravaged by war mm. and disease. And it's not that she's showing us it is that she's showing us sin, but not to revel in it, but to be reviled by it. Right. You know, but be aware, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is you know, that is not a good thing. Let me let me point out to you, right. that's not good. But there's certainly movies always come to mind of things that glorify sin. Yeah. You know. And yeah. I suppose even in that, there's probably a truth in yeah. there. Or, and, and maybe it's just like a the fault in how people were raised yeah. or something you know, like it, maybe it doesn't show that. Yes. But yes. Uh, and there's, there's something else to the story that led to that. Yeah. Or, and I think that, you know, I've heard numerous leaders in the church say basically the same thing. You know, don't be uncritical about it. Don't consume way too yeah. much of it. 
And, you know, Bishop Barron said something like this, read the Bible. There's sin all over the Bible. Yeah. There's horrible things all right. over the Bible. And, you know, you want to learn how to read something like that and be able to pick out if there's a kernel of truth there and be able to evaluate it. Certainly, if there's a tiny kernel of truth surrounded by a whole <laughs> lot of needless things, you know, probably make less room for that and more room for the more serious and redemptive works of art. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was so beautiful that he says, I mean, just read it for the sheer beauty of his writing, if right. anything. It's kind of poetic. Oh, it's it's so poetic. And again, so loving and so uh, you know attentive to artists. Well, and for those that don't know, he was an artist himself. He yes. wrote plays and I don't know what all he did, but he was he loved the arts. Like this is coming from his passion. And that shows in the way he yeah. embraces this. You mentioned that this letter is something that you that comes up uh -huh. for you uh once or twice a year. And reading it, you should send it to every artist you know yeah. once or twice a year and say, you're gonna you maybe you need a little uplift here because right. this this will give it to you. It'll inspire you, it'll make you feel stronger, it'll make you feel uh valued for what you what you put into what you do. Mm -hmm. One of the things too that struck me was that he acknowledges that artists hit a limit when they make. And, and oftentimes, you know, people who make art, they, they're often, you know, they make something and they're not satisfied by it. And they're right. frustrated or, or they get done with the project that they felt so driven to create and then they're done and it's like, it's still not good enough. Yeah. And he acknowledges that. He says, all artists experience the unbridgeable gap which lies between the work of their hands, however successful it may be, and the dazzling perfection of the beauty glimpsed in the ardor of the creative moment. What they manage to express in their painting, their sculpting, their creating is no more than a glimmer of the splendor which flared for a moment before the eyes of their spirit. Yeah. So, you know, artists get this, they're like struck by lightning and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to try to express what I just felt and what I saw, which... I would say it comes from the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. but we can't like we can't fully express it, which explains and should remind the artist that what they're doing is only at the limit of their human ability and, and should kind of bring the artist to their knees in even greater awe of the ultimate creator. And I think sometimes this can get a little out of whack. You know, an artist might see themselves as a god and think like, mm -hmm. well, because I have this immense skill in painting and I have these, you know, dazzling internal experiences, bow down to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Pope is, is saying, you know, yes, you're great, but even the greatness you can create and you can feel is, is a tiny speck in the greatness of your creator. Yeah. Okay, the other day there was a beautiful sunrise. And so I went out to take a picture of it with my phone. And the picture is <laughs> like, yeah, it's okay. I know. But it didn't compare at all. I know. Like it, it wasn't as big, it wasn't as wide, it I wasn't know. as colorful. And it was just I can't even post this. Like nobody's gonna be impressed <laughs> by this picture of no one's gonna sunrise. Get it. I know. <laughs> but I was blown away by the, the actual I know. sunrise. And that I think that art is just kind of a sliver, like a glimpse of God's perfect mm -hmm. beauty. Mm -hmm. Well, it, I think the supplies here. I was in a, 
a Zoom lecture by glass artist Richard Royal yesterday. Mm. And and we have a piece of Richard's that I really like it, but I've never really understood it. And so he, in explaining different bodies of work that he's worked on over the years, the first thing that struck me was that he has a lot of lovingly intertwined sort of shapes that will wrap in and around each other. And he said, well, I, I met my wife. She's the first girl I ever loved, the only girl I've ever loved. And isn't this what a relationship is? We're intertwined. And one thing rests and balances on the other. Hmm. And they're inseparable, but they're two different forms and they're two different colors. And I thought, you know, that's, that's fascinating because the moment he said it, I get the work. Yeah. Next piece is that they had a child. And he said, I've never thought what it would be like to watch a child be born. He said, I've never seen a child be born before. And there was my child uh -huh. and my child's head is emerging. So he said, so I did this series. And he turns to one of the Aperture series, which we have the one that I haven't understood. And in the middle of the Aperture series is a circle form, you know, uh -huh. and, you know, round. So that's the head of his daughter being born, wow. surrounded by these swirls. He said, and that was just beautiful stuff. He said, you don't want to be graphic about these things. But he, he worked in that series for, I think, eight years, huh. all based on the birth of his first child. Wow. And, and, and those are experiences that a lot of people have. You know, most of society will experience the birth of a child. And you don't want to take that for granted. And, mm. and we need artists to remind us not to take that for granted. It's a miracle every time. Yeah. And I'm going to remind you of it. <laughs> and Charles, you know, that reminds me, the Second Vatican Council, and John Paul says this here, stresses the importance of art in human life. We need art so that we don't sink into despair, mm -hmm. he says. And again, we think like we need the utilitarian things the most. Like, right. We got to be fed. We got to be clothed. We got to be sheltered, which we do. But oh, and then like we'll go to the art museum later when we have time or something, uh -huh. or <laughs> or we'll make art, you know, when we have nothing else to do. Uh, no, you or it's something you do when you're a kid, right? But now yes. you're you're older. You need to get a job. You need to get yeah. serious. Need to, yeah. meet your responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. You need to be in sports. Stop messing around with art. Yeah, like, do yeah. something that's really going to help your career. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, for me, anytime I've looked this up, I just type into Google mm -hmm. John Paul II, yeah. Letter to Artists. Yeah. It's, and it's the first thing that comes up. Yep, it's from it's, the Vatican's website. You sure. can download it free. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I think it was 14 pages with yeah. a bunch of footnotes. No, it's not too long. Not at all. Yeah. It's an uplifting read. And I think, like, like we said, even if you're not an artist, it helps you to appreciate artists. I would say that especially art. if you're not an artist, if you're one of those people that say like, yeah. I don't know anything about art or I don't really like it, please read this. Or what's because, the point? Yeah, it will give yeah. you a greater appreciation for how art has been used in the church, how mm -hmm. there was a very close relationship between the church and Christianity and art and that artists were and are being called to be considered a more essential part of our faith. And even very well-meaning Catholics, I think, at times might be guilty of relegating the arts to a corner. Right. Uh, and 
you know, not really through any fault of their own. It, it's it's kind of the, the culture of where art and the church and even society is. So reacquaint yourself with how this great saint and the Vatican Council fathers saw art. All right. Thank you so much, Charles and Amanda Shepard. This has been a fun look back at St. Pope John Paul II's Letter to Artists. Thanks, Kyle. Perfect. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or words of affirmation, shoot us an email, show at kylehyman.com. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.